G'day, 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 and welcome everyone. That's our resident scaredy cat, Kate. And that's the horror junkie, Dominic. And you're listening to Shit and Bricks. A podcast where we talk shit about some scary stuff. The sort of fear your asshole knows about. As always, subscribe, rate, and review us. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Shit and Bricks Podcast. All right, drop your dax, pop a squat, and let's get into it. A boop scoot, boobity boop scoot. You're driving me crazy. <laughs> My obsession <laughs> from a western. My dance floor date. That's one of uh, Chelsea and I's favourite songs for when we have too many wines and put the YouTube videos on. <laughs> Craig's hates that. Relive your glory days. Our glory yes. days. It's all of ours, actually. Please. Hi, Kate. Hi, Dominic. How are you today? Um, I am uber extra fabulous because Ooh, even yeah. though, you know, we are releasing this video and this episode out on the 20th of May. Mm-hmm. It's actually the 4th of May. Sorry, folks, you've you've seen the magic behind the curtain. Whoa. So I'm... We're a, time traveling. I'm about to ca- catch my flight to Thailand, but when this video is being... Re- I mean, when this episode's being released, I'll mm-hmm. be flying back. So... Oh, my God. That's unbelievable. <laughs> How the true you... power of the flux capacitor. Yes, exactly. And let's hope that I didn't meet an untimely demise on Death Island. <laughs> Fingers crossed. But you make sure at the end we'll do, your, um, we'll do your verbal will. Yes, for sure. Happy days. You get everything, Kate. Own it. Oh, thank you. I figured that would be the case. I was going to edit it myself to make it say like, <laughs> the, like the Homer Simpson. Yeah. <laughs> sweet, sweet Ken. <laughs> Kate, you get F. Everything <laughs> I own. <laughs> and how are Thanks you so feeling? Much. Not too bad. I uh, when this airs, I will be healthy. But we're at currently in the recording. I have been diagnosed with COVID nineteen. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Please send Not your flowers, either. chocolates. Please, yeah, wreaths. I prefer a funeral wreath so I can put it on top of my own coffin. Uh, no, I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good, all things considered. Uh, you never know what to expect. Everybody is affected differently by it, but I'm just, as you can hear, a bit snotty. Some body aches. I've been sleeping and eating and pooping and all that, so we're fine. <laughs> all right. As but long I'm as... excited for today's episode. Yes, I'm excited that I don't have to talk too much. Uh and I'll just, you know, try and be my effervescent self. Uh, well, we're really glad that you're toughing through it and joining Thank us you. today. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, before we get started, I've got to do a quick Boopod shout out for Please. the epic and uh, amazing, uh, generally spooky podcast is this week's feature. And um, I can't recommend this one enough especially because we've got quite a mix of different podcasts right in boo pod we do but i don't think a podcast um encompasses the spirit of boo pod more than like generally spooky is just every possible story and every possible thing that is paranormal and supernatural and scary this is a gold mine like it's a great um podcast to follow it's got everything um really awesome awesomely um narrated um lots of diversity of stories uh if you just love the spooky go check this one out and binge on it because i sure did all this week amazing yeah are we gonna play a promo or is there no promo this week there is absolutely a promo it's an awesome one too so in three two one boobity boob Scotland's history is ghoulish, ghastly, and at times downright gruesome. Who wouldn't want to hear more about it? If you're interested in learning more about Scotland's history, legends, and ghost stories, then the Generally Spooky podcast is for you. My name is Ailey, researcher, storyteller, and believer in ghosts. And my name is Kieran. I'm chief listener, provider of jokes, and Ailey's husband. And we are the co-hosts of the Generally Spooky podcast. Join us as we discuss things like the Loch Ness Monster, the Mackenzie Poltergeist, the Battle of Culloden, and so much more. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can also find us for free on YouTube and over at our website, 
generallyspooky.com. We'll see you there. See you there. <laughs> I love Bapa da Boop Boop. Boop 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 Scoop. And we're back. Hi, everyone. The Magic of Radio. We're using time machines. We're using magic. It's just all happening today. Yeah, so big shout out to obviously Generally Spooky Podcast. Um, I can't recommend it enough, so please go and um, go and support. I don't know how to quite pronounce their names. Um, Alidi and Kieran, I think is the best way. But um, yeah, go check them out. They're awesome. They're masters of what, of what they do. So Masters yeah. of their domain. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, let's get into this week's story, Kate. Yes, please. Please only intrude in my storytelling if you have something very funny to say or blow your nose. That would be awesome. Okay. I can do both, <laughs> maybe at the same time. <laughs> we want you to rest and feel better. No problems. No, I'm here. I'm glad to be talking to someone. It's been three days of my own in my own house. I have been playing a lot of The Sims, so my Sims people are having a fulfilled and happy life, but I have been sitting there playing with that, so I'm happy to talk. Oh, that's good. Well, I hope you do better at Sims than I did at Tamagotchis, which I never <laughs> managed to keep one alive, but whatever. That's okay. Whatever. That's why I'm not a parent. <laughs> <laughs> well, not the actual I was parent. about to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> I have Spawn, but yeah, you know. Yeah, that's so true. Shout out to Chandler. Um, anyway, well, funny that we are doing a story like this and you're not feeling particularly well mm. because I, I really have been saving up this particular theme or topic for us to do an episode on. Um, and it is leaning into my Catholic upbringing, which was rather intense and, uh, well and truly, um, <laughs> Uh, holistic it inspired you maybe not in the way that was intended (laughs) no definitely not (laughs) I mean look how I turned out oh beautiful catholic guilt is definitely a thing but I think anyone that grows up super religious especially catholic the fear of the devil and the fear of demons and being possessed and going to hell is legitimately a real fear oh yeah especially as a a little fairy queer boy like I am <laughs> you know <laughs> uh so the thought that the theme and the topic this week is possession um so I just I find this topic so fascinating I've done lots of research on it I know lots of different stories exorcist is one of my favorite movies so amazing pop culture reference of the week Pop culture reference of the week I have one quick story when I watched the exorcist for the first time when I was 10 9 10 I got so scared I ran from the couch watching it with my sister and hid at the front door with my back to the door great she got our neighbor to come over and pound on the door to scare the (laughs) shit out of me thank you Jessica Taranto thanks Jessica Uh, and I've been afraid of being possessed and demons ever since so that's the thing for this week love it now, I got all my details from, of course, Wikipedia, um, archive.org. Uh, there's an article called Begone Satan. Uh, it's like a pamphlet. It sort of details the case that I'm going to reference today, written by Carl Vogel in 1935. And uh, also a book called Biography of Father Risinger. It's a short biography uh, written by the church that details some of Risinger's life. And I will explain who that is once we get into the story. But another great podcast to check out is the Dark Histories podcast, uh, season two, episode three. They do the same story that I'm going to tell today. So go check it out. Amazing. All right. It's a big one. So I'm just going to jump in. This week's episode goes a bit more out there as we take a look at historic exorcism that despite being well-documented case for the time tends to fly under the radar. This is the story of the possession of Anna Eklund who found herself herself cursed and possessed by five demons and suffered months of exorcisms lasting for 23 days in Ealing, Iowa way back in 1928. 1928, good year. Yeah. Now, some quick history on what an exorcism actually is, okay? 
The Catholic Church authorizes the use of exorcism for those who are believed to be the victims of demonic possession. In Roman Catholicism, exorcism is a sacramental, but not a sacrament, unlike baptism or confession. Right. So unlike a sacrament, exorcisms, integrity and efficacy do not depend on the rigid use of an unchanging formula or an or the ordered sequence of prescribed actions. Its efficacy depends on two elements, authorization from valid and licit church authorities and the faith of the exorcist. Right. Now, the Catechism of the Catholic Church states, when the church asks publicly and authoritatively on the name of Jesus Christ that a person or object be protected against the power of the evil one, and withdrawn from his dominion, it is called an exorcism. Right. So it's not just people. Objects can be... Oh, objects yeah. can be possessed as well. Absolutely. I think my microwave is possessed. <laughs> so that makes sense. I, I am afraid to stand next to a microwave. For the radiation? Yeah. Okay, that's I fair. want my giblets to be protected. <laughs> Same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Scrambled egg. <laughs> Now, the Catholic Church revised the rite of exorcism, rite as in R-I-T-E, of exorcism, in January 1999. Through the traditional rite of exorcism in Latin is allowed as an option. The ritual assumes that possessed persons retain their free will, though the demon may hold control over their physical body and involves prayers, blessings and invocations with the use of the document of exorcisms and certain supplications. Can so I a, just ask a really quick question? Yeah. Who came up with the guidebook for exorcisms? <laughs> <laughs> I assume it's from teachings in the Bible or, you know, something along those lines. But, you know, who's got the, the how-to, the, the wiki how? How I'm, to I'm, perform an exorcism? Are you going to I'm get actually going to go into that. <laughs> yes. Amazing. All right. I'll leave it. I know it's a bit dry, but I really no. think... People have sort of this like Hollywood superficial version or knowledge of what exorcisms are. Without a shadow of a doubt. And I know a lot of pop culture reference chunks or bits of it, but like I'm not, I'm very anti religion, but I still find the history of it really, really fascinating. Oh, yeah. And so, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna share some bit of backstory and then we'll get into the story of Anna Ackland. Hit me. Now, solemn exorcisms, according to the canon law of the church, can be exercised only by an ordained priest or higher prelate with the express permission of the local bishop and only after a careful medical examination to exclude the possibility of mental illness. (laughs) The Catholic Encyclopedia, which was in 1908, enjoined... Superstition ought not to be confounded with religion, however much their story may be interwoven, nor magic, however white it may be, with a legitimate religious rite. So there is a call out for, you know, this isn't a place for magic. This, you know, we've got to leave room for the phony and the fake. Sure. And mental health. Things listed in the Roman ritual as being indicators of possible demonic possession include speaking foreign or ancient languages of which the possessed has no prior knowledge, supernatural abilities and strength, knowledge of hidden or remote things which the possessed has no way of knowing, and aversion to anything holy, and profuse blasphemy and or sacrilege. Kate, how many of those have you ticked off the list? Like in the last 20 minutes? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all of them. Good. <laughs> it's my goal to do that every single day. <laughs> now, the first official guidelines for exorcism were established way back in 1614. That long, okay? That was like near when I was born. Yeah, this is the oldest shit that we've talked about. All right. Now, these were grimoires, were, and they were widely known and used since the ancient period. Now, grimoires... grimoires yeah, they're Is that like from Lord of the Rings. It's kind of like a tome or a book, or oh, you know, it's, I see. It's like a religious y type book type so thing. So technically, could have been from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, pretty much. Um, those guidelines were later revised by the Vatican in 1999 as the demand for exorcisms increased. Yeah, it was hot. Exorcisms oh, yeah. were hot then. Yeah, <laughs> they were trending. It, 
In the 15th century, Catholic exorcists were both priestly and lay since every Christian was considered as having the power to command demons and drive them out in the name of Christ. These exorcists used the Order of St. Benedict's formula, uh, Step Back Satan, around this time. <laughs> Sounds like a is song. That a, is that an album? <laughs> yeah. Step Back Satan, S-A-T-A-N. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Uh, by the late 1960s, Roman Catholic exorcisms were seldom performed in the United States. But by mid-1970s, popular film and literature revived interest in the ritual, with thousands claiming demonic possession. I really like the term seldom. I need yeah. to use that more in my, um, like, just a turn of phrase. You seldom use it? Yeah, I seldom use it. Done. <laughs> That's twice today. That's great. Maverick priests who belonged to fringes took advantage of the increase in demand and performed exorcisms with little or no official sanction. The exorcisms that they performed were according to contemporary American religion, clandestine underground affairs undertaken without the approval of the Catholic Church and without rigorous psychological screening that the church requires. All right. In subsequent years, the church took more aggressive action on the demon expulsion front. The pr- <laughs> right? Yep. The DEF. <laughs> yeah. The practice of exorcism without consent from the Catholic Church is what prompted the official guidelines from 1614 to be amended. I mean, 300 years, you'll what? probably update it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's put an amendment in. The amendment established the procedure that clergy members and each individual who claims to be impacted by demonic possession must follow. This includes the rule that the potentially obsessed individual must be evaluated by a medical professional before any other acts are taken. Obviously. The primary reason for this action is to eliminate any suspicion of mental illness before the next steps of the procedure are taken. Since demonic possession, according to Roman Catholic teachings, is extremely rare and mental health issues are often mistaken for demonic possession, the Vatican requires that each diocese have a specially trained priest who is able to diagnose demonic possession and perform exorcisms when necessary. Excellent. The demon priest faction. Mm. Yeah. Imagine having that as a little <laughs> membership it's on card. My resume. <laughs> oh, sorry. That was my blockbuster card. <laughs> Let me get out my demon priest card. I'm definitely a member, I promise. Exorcists are plus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we do two for Who one you on Friday. Call? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So when does the Catholic Church believe an exorcism is needed? Now, according to the Vatican's guidelines issued in 1999, the person who claims to be possessed must be evaluated by doctors, blah, blah, blah. Most reported cases do not require an exorcism because... The 20th century Catholic officials regard genuine demonic possession as an extremely rare phenomenon that is easily confounded with natural mental disturbances. As the demand for exorcism has increased over the past few decades, the number of trained exorcists has also risen. Mm. In prior times, exorcists were kept fairly anonymous and the performance of exorcisms remained a secret. Some exorcists attribute the rise in demand of exorcisms to the rise in drug abuse and violence, Mm -hmm. which leads to the suggestion that such things might work hand in hand. All right, here we go. Many times a person just needs spiritual or medical help, especially if drugs or other addictions are present. Totally. (laughs) That's all I have to say to that. (laughs) The specially trained priest and medical professionals will be able to work together to address the patient and be able to determine what type of illness the patient is suffering from. All right, blah, blah. I'm not even going to bother reading the rest of that crap. I liked it. 13 signs of possession, Kate. (gasps) Yes, bring it on. I'm going to tick them off. All right, number one. Yep. Loss or lack of appetite. Yeah, but I don't know if that's COVID or possession, but yes. Yeah, well, my fat ass would... Tell me I'm not suffering from that. <laughs> Cutting, scratching, and biting of skin. Uh, just in a sexy sense, but not on myself. <laughs> <laughs> a cold feeling in the room. Uh, no, my heat is on. 22 degrees. Bummy. Lovely. 
unnatural bodily postures and change in the person's face and body. Well, I sit like a prawn when I'm playing Sims. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's unnatural, but it does give me some back pain. The possessed losing control of their normal personality and entering into a frenzy or rage or attacking others. Oh, only if I've been asked to do something at 4.30 p.m. on a day I don't have meetings at school. Yeah. Yeah. Or when I'm walking down the street and people take up the whole sidewalk and they walk really slowly. Or if you're at Bunnings and you're trying to get down one aisle and there's a family of four or with their hands behind their backs just like taking their sweet time. Yep. Number six, change in in the person's voice. Mm, Only because I'm full of snot. (laughs) Number seven, supernatural physical strength, not subject to the person's build or age. Oh, no. I struggled to open a jar this morning, so (laughs) we can cross that one off. Speaking in tongues, the person cannot have learned before. Oh, no, I only speak in tongues that I've learned. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I was going to make a really dirty tongue joke. I was there. I was there. Mentally, I was there. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Number nine, knowledge of past events. Uh, Yeah. I'm I'm pretty dumb. I I went to a party on the weekend. (laughs) 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 I went to the footy. My football team's garbage. I remember all of that. Number 10, levitation and moving of objects. No. I wish I could. I wish I I could too. Yeah. Just to mess with people. Uh, expelling of objects. As in like from myself? Yeah, like I shut out a cross. (laughs) (laughs) Not recently. recently. Just the usual. Yeah, just the usual. The usual muck. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Number 12, intense hatred and aversion and violent reaction towards all religious objects. I mean, yes, for you. Not so much me. And number 13, antipathy towards entering a church. No, I just get like, it's, it's sort of like a tingly feeling all over my skin and it's sort of a bit of steam sort Ooh. of comes off. That's not too bad. There's <clears throat> cream for that. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't burst into flames yet. <laughs> all right, so how does a typical possession actually go? Now, in the process of an exorcism, the person possessed may be restrained so that they do not harm themselves or any person present. The exorcist then prays and commands for the demons to retreat. The Catholic priest recites certain prayers like the Lord's Prayer, Hail Mary, and the Athanasian Creed. Exorcists follow procedures listed in the ritual of the exorcism revised by the Romanum as a starting point. Anyway, um... They use the ritual Romanum as a starting point, not always following the prescribed formula exactly. Official practice of exorcism is governed by the Vatican document De Exorcismus S. Sublicanationabusibus Quibusibusidum. Oh, that's the same one in The Godfather 3. Right. It's just too. I'm not. It's too much. I don't do Latin, babe. It's It's okay. Nobody does Latin, dumb. Now, the Vatican actually offers a course on exorcism, which in 2019, for the first time, was open to members of other Christian denominations. I want to do a course real bad. Yeah, the course is called Exorcism and Prayer of Liberation. I thought it would be like Exorcism 101. (laughs) (laughs) And then you get Exorcism 102 when you pass that course. Yep. The Gale Encyclopedia of the Unusual and Unexplained describes that an exorcism was a confrontation and not simply a prayer, and once it has begun, it has to finish no matter how long it takes. If the exorcist stops the right, then the demon will pursue him, which is why the process being finished is so essential. After the exorcism has been finished, the person possessed feels a kind of release of guilt and feels reborn and freed of sin. Now, not all exorcisms are successful. The first time, it could take days, weeks, or months of constant prayer and exorcisms. Jeez. Which is why we're about to get to the often misunderstood or forgotten story of the possession of Anna Eklund. Brilliant. So here's a real-life example, Kate. While I just puff on my vape. 
The suspense is killing us. Okay. The possession of Anna Eklund. Then, too, her whole body became so horribly disfigured that the regular contour of her body vanished, her pale, death-like and emaciated head, often assuming the size of an inverted water pitcher, became as red as glowing embers. Her eyes protruded out of their sockets, her lips swelled up to proportions equaling the size of her hands, and her thin, emaciated body was bloated to such enormous size that the pastor and some of the sisters drew back out of fright thinking that the woman would be torn to pieces and burst asunder. At times, her abdominal region and extremities became as hard as iron and stone. In such instances, the weight of her body pressed into the iron bedstead so that the iron rods on the bed bent to the floor. These okay. were the words chronicled in Begone Satan, a pamphlet written by Carl Vogel, which documented a prolonged exorcism carried out on a young girl named Anna Eklund in 1928. Heavily documented at the time and later in Time magazine, it was alleged that she had been possessed by several demons, including Beelzebub, Judas Iscariot and Lucifer himself. Wait, isn't Beelzebub Lucifer? I think it's like... Or is it different? I think it's slightly different. Okay. Oh, must be. I mean, she was possessed by all three. She had a busy week. I love that someone was like, oh, I just did this work. I'm going to make a pamphlet. (laughs) Yeah. You should see it. It's actually really interesting. You can see copies of the original. Oh, cool. Yeah. From 1928. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's put it on our socials. We shall. Now, who is Anna Eklund? I don't know. (laughs) All right, you smart ass. Love okay. it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping you could let me know because I'm not sure. I've got a few pages on it now. Perfect. The story of Anna Eklund is not one for the faint of heart. At the time of its publication in 1935, it would have been quite a terrifying and eye-opening education into the life and practices of one of the Catholic Church's more extreme solutions to the troubles of demonic possession. It is, however, also a tale that willfully obfuscates the history of its subject. These are precious few facts that detail Anna Eklund's early life. In fact, even now, her name is not 100% certain. She has been named Anna Eklund, Anna Schmidt, and many contemporary reports simply called her a certain 40-year-old woman. Oh. Dramatic as her story was, her name was just one of the details repressed following the incidents of 1928 as a means of protection from the public who may very well not have taken kindly to being around a person with such a strange and potentially threatening past. Of the precious few details concerning Anna's early life, it is generally accepted that she was born in or around 1882 in Wisconsin. Her father was named Jakob Eklund, with her mother appearing to have left the scene while she was still at an early age. There are no records of her name, nor where she had gone, or indeed if it was the case, what had befallen her. Anna was a practicing and devout Catholic who attended church several times a week and appeared to enjoy the religious ceremony and rituals of religion. Perfect. She lived out the first 14 years of her life seemingly as a normal child for the times, though her father was rumoured to have made even such a simple existence difficult for her. Dun, dun, dun. Surprise, surprise. Thanks, Dad. Fucking Dad. Now, Jakob Eklund was, as far as we can tell, a difficult father at best. He was a drunk, and not only against Anna's practising of religion, but openly mocking towards the church and its ministers. On his deathbed, whilst having his final sacrament administered by a priest, he scoffed and insulted him, his last words, those of hate. Though the records of the family history are not particularly detailed, he took a mistress named Mina, whilst his wife was still alive and the woman of his fancy just so happened to be either his sister by blood or stepsister by marriage, and Anna's aunt. Oh. Mina had a colourful background of her own and was well known in the town for having a reputation of practising witchcraft and black magic. Most dubbed her rather straightforwardly as a witch and as she passed through the streets, rumours flew quite openly. 
I just want to cut in here. Anyone that's just even remotely out of the ordinary is labelled a witch, and I would have been yeah. called a witch. So, yeah, definitely. You know, let's not. I would. I, I would have too, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. At some point between Anna's tenth and fourteenth birthday, Joseph had on several occasions tried to pressure Anna into so Jacob into incestuous relationship. Obviously, Anna had flatly refused him outright. This pressure. And refusal from Anna, as one might imagine, caused no small amount of tension in their relationship, which now spiralled into a very dark place. Yeah, he's annoyed because <clears throat> he can't bone his, aunt, his sister and his Ugh. daughter at the same time. Like, it is around the same time at the dawning of the 20th century that we first hear of Anna in any real detail, as it is also around the age of 14 that Anna started to act a little differently. She began missing church and when questioned, told of how she was unable to attend, of how she felt revulsion in the presence of religious symbolism and a physical resistance that was creating a literal barrier, stopping her from entering any religious building. She had also begun uttering sexualized thoughts of unspeakable (gasps) acts. No. Now, this behavior was deemed as a form of possession, and in 1908, Father Thelophius Risinger was called to perform an exorcism, which he undertook apparently successfully on June 18th, 1908. Okay. Through this ordeal, sees scant few mentions in any written history of the case. All seemingly went well, as again Anna's life falls into obscurity. One can assume that she lived a relatively normal life, if somewhat troubled. At some point, her father passed away, and once again, Anna was finding it more and more difficult to practice her religion. This time, her actions against her father had stepped up, and she found herself lashing out at her spiritual counsellor, at one point attempting to suffocate him. She was gaining compulsive urges to destroy her religious symbols and was hearing inner voices that were driving her to despair. She initially sought the help of doctors and after several qualified physicians had observed and dismissed her as being physically fit and well over a period of several years, Anna instead turned to the spiritual and enlisted the help of the church. Perfect. She needs one of those exorcist priests. Thelodious. Now, once in the care of the church... Her counsellors themselves spent several years attempting to diagnose and alleviate her condition and failing. Several years? Far out. Yep. Though during the period they took note of several oddities which they found difficult to explain in natural terms. Firstly, it was noted that Anna was able to understand languages that she had never understood previously and had never like studied. Like Latin. Mm. Nobody knows Latin. I had a, I butchered it before. <clears throat> <laughs> I mean, you know Latin. Yeah, based on that, that's fine. Yeah. In particular, it appeared that she now understood Latin. And when priests spoke to her in the language, it was said that she foamed at the mouth, just like Dominic did. Oh, she's frothing. You did. You did, but in a different way. She was positively frothing. Um, Further, she was able to sense when blessed articles were in her close vicinity, becoming furious, even normal objects which had no specific spiritual significance, but had been blessed or touched with holy water, would not pass unnoticed, and she would call the priests out on such subjects, demanding that they be removed at once. Get rid of this blessed fork. (laughs) I will not take it. I will not eat my dinner with this. Exactly. Now, when the priests caring for her begun to suspect supernatural forces were at play, they asked Anna herself what she thought of the matter. She acted completely unaware and was unable to give any information regarding who or what may be behind the suspected demonic troubles that were now making her life so difficult. I just just got this visual. (laughs) They go into her room and she's sitting on the bed like cross-legged, but her legs are like twisted unnaturally around each other and and her head is spinning around and around and they're like hey hey Anna are you all right she's like yeah doll I don't think I'm possessed at all what's wrong it's kind of like you guys noticed something (laughs) it's kind of like Matilda the movie just shit flying around the room yeah I'm fine this doesn't happen to you I'm not possessed you guys all right (laughs) you want to go for a run (laughs) 
Oh, holy shit. Yeah, backwards down the stairs. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, I'm not possessed. You're possessed. Oh, get rid of this fucking door frame. It's, it's giving me the shits. What's wrong with you? <laughs> oh, sorry. I just really entertained myself Good. there for a couple of minutes. I'm glad. Good to see you laugh. Yeah. Now, finally, in 1928, and after many years of these observations, the church formally deemed Anna to be possessed, and once again, Father Risinger, by by now well-known and well-trusted for his work on demonic exorcisms, was approached to take the duty for the second time. Get it done. It was from this point that a fuller picture of Anna can be built, as her time spent with Risinger was documented fully. In fact, it is still to this day one of the most documented cases of exorcism performed by a member of the Catholic Church. The details of the ritual were witnessed by Father Joseph Steger, a long-term friend of Risinger's, and both witness accounts were included in a pamphlet titled Be Gone Satan, written by Karl Vogel and published in German in 1935 and English in 1973. Jeez, that's recent. Its original intentions were to act as an informational pamphlet to be handed out to seminarians of the church to inform and educate on the subject of demonic possession and the practice of exorcism. The pamphlet tells a very strange tale indeed. Do you want to know a bit about Risinger or do you not really care? Um, He wrote it, the pamphlet? No, he was the practicing... Oh, he's the practicing... He was the exorcist. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I should be paying attention. I'm I have brain fog. It's totally uh, fine. I'm not you. It's your story, Bags. You tell us if you want. I'll do a little bit about him now. Father okay. Theophilus Risinger was born in Bavaria in 1868, growing up on his small family farm. He was highly religious from a young age. He was just 12 years old when, while suffering from illness, he decided to vote his life to his God. And at the age of 21, joined a monastery in Altating, a village that still today stands as an important pilgrimage point after a statue of the Virgin Mary revived a young boy who had drowned in the river in 1489. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's into it. He, he's he into it. it. He's well into it. Yeah, he's super into it. Now, indeed, his life and work had been widely publicized in the press as he became more and more embroiled in the practice of demonic extraction. No case had gathered more media attention than the time than his work at the exorcism of Anna Ackland. Um, And it put him onto the cover of Time magazine. Oh, he's on the map. Yeah. He is on the map. So anyway, he's a really interesting character. I'm just conscious of time, but if people are interested to learn more about him, go read up about his very yeah. Full well, we can do career. a bloody extra epi. Yeah, true. Do a little bit of a Patreoni. Now let's get to the exorcism, right? Let's Please. get to the real details. Now the drama of Anna's second exorcism in 1928 began immediately with her trip to the convent with the ordeal where the ordeal would take place. It had Mm -hmm. been deemed appropriate that everything would be organized and undertaken in strict secrecy and that Anna should be taken away from her home so as to not draw attention to herself and to allow her to return to a normal life after the procedure. No one was to know of the events outside of those directly in contact with either Anna or those working alongside and assisting directly with the exorcism itself. Father Risinger had thought he had found a suitable location in a convent in Erling, Iowa, though he first needed to gain permission from both the Mother Superior and the convent and the part of the convent and the pastor of the local parish to carry out the duty within its working borders. The pastor, Father Steger, was a long-term friend of Risinger's, and so when he approached, though reluctant, he agreed that if he could gain permission from the Mother Superior, then he would welcome the ritual to be performed under his watch. <clears throat> this was a rather disingenuous deal on Steger's part, who expressed his fears of the practice to both Rosinger and the bishop. He had only entered into the deal doubting that the Mother Superior would agree in the first place. He was then rather dismayed to find out that Rosinger had in fact already gained the permission prior to his approach and so the pastor anxiously stepped aside and permitted Anna to be transported to the convent where the exorcism could begin. 
Anna travelled by train to the convent itself and the priests escorting her first found it necessary to make the personnel of the train aware of the situation as a precautionary measure. <laughs> Imagine that, you just turn up, you're just driving the train and then a priest comes up and goes, hi, sorry to interrupt, um, I'm just with this girl. Do you see the one there? Yes, the one clinging to the ceiling by her fingernails. That one there, she's going to come on the train and uh, she's just a bit kooks, so maybe don't offer her like the the bar service. Yeah. Maybe don't bring her a sandwich. Uh, she'll be fine. She likes to eat uh, bats, yeah. so she brought her own. So... We're going to jump on the train now. Don't bother us. Here's a Cheers. ticket. Don't yeah. bother trying to collect <laughs> choo it. Choo-choo, motherfuckers. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, this is great. You're loving this. I love I it. I really am. This doesn't really scare am. you at all, but it's... No, but I love it. I really do. I get, do definitely get scared by, like, the unnatural positions and the bits and pieces, but 100% use humour to cover up my, <laughs> my frightenedness. <laughs> Now, when Anna arrived at Erling Station, though it is documented that she was herself very willing and happy to enlist the help of the church and submit to an exorcism, she attacked the priests who had come to meet her, lashing out and choking them. Obviously. Now, Risinger was to arrive at the convent on the same night as Anna, but by another route so as to keep the pair separate until the exorcism was to begin in proper. He had arranged to be driven by Steger, whose car was apparently rather new and in perfect working order. Probably a valiant. Mm -hmm. On the night in question, however, the car failed to start and though no mechanical fault could be found, it failed in making any headway towards the station where he was to collect the priest. Arriving two hours late, he found a calm Risinger who merely shrugged off the complications as the work of the devil, who he stated... Will try his utmost to foil our plans. That devil. Now, finally, all parties converged in the convent and preparations for the exorcism could begin in earnest. Now, the first of this round of exorcisms, okay? Yep. 18th to the 26th of August. On the 9th of the 17th of August, once everyone had arrived and settled into their temporary new home of the convent, Anna immediately began emitting behaviour that would terrify the permanent occupants. During their time at the convent, the nuns would assist both Father Risinger with his duties as exorcist and take care and watch over Anna. During meal preparations, one of the sisters in the kitchen took it upon herself to sprinkle holy water over Anna's meal before taking it up to her room and serve it for her. We know how that goes. Upon entering, however, Anna displayed a trait that would happen time and time again over the coming months. The mere presence of the food, blessed as it was, enraged her and she began purring like a cat, whilst refusing to eat even a single mouthful until until it was taken away and a fresh, unblessed meal had been brought up for her. Mm. This reaction to and knowledge of blessed items, despite the fact that she should have no knowledge of what had and had not been blessed prior to entering the room became a feature with Anna howling and screaming like an animal. She is described as writhing in agony on the bed whilst making various unnatural noises. In quotations, this ugly bellowing and howling took place every day and at times it lasted for hours, wrote Vogel in Begone Satan. At other times it sounded as though a horde of lions and hyenas were let loose. Then again, as the mewing of cats, the bellowing of cattle, and the barking of dogs. It's a whole menagerie. It's a farmyard. That's why you don't want to share house with people anymore, because you've got to listen to <laughs> Are you possessed? Yeah. That should be one of the questions on flatmates.com. Oh, Do you require over. exorcism? <laughs> <laughs> this consequently terrified the nuns who were assisting the exorcism and drove them to create a rotating schedule that allowed for each for each to work for only a short period before being able to rest and recuperate away from the screams. Yeah, they needed a break. Work-life balance. Yep. This also created a second problem, that of the local villagers of Erling, who day by day during the performances of the exorcism could hear the sounds echoing from inside the stone convent's walls and gathered around exchanging exchanging quiet whispers of what they believed was happening inside. On the morning of 18th August, the exorcism began. Father Risinger... 
almost immediately came to the conclusion that it would be prolonged after that that would so it would be a prolonged affair that would span several attempts and this first episode lasted for eight days until the 26th of august on father risinger's advice the sisters had tied the arms of anna's dress to forego her the use of her hands intending to stop or inhibit anna attacking any of those present during the exorcism the priests along with the pastor attended mass in the morning and then after arming themselves with their various holy symbols took off towards Arno's room to begin the exorcism. As soon as Risinger began reciting the names of the Holy Trinity, Anna leapt from the bed, slipping through the hands of the sisters assisting the ritual, landed as documented and then landed as documented and witnessed by three priests and several nuns atop the door sideways on the wall where she clung spitting spitting growls and murmurs Ooh, yeah got him uh, it's, it's, it's clinging to the wall yeah excellent it took all present a moment to regain their composure before prying her down and lying her back on the bed and further assistance could be called um to help hold anna to the bed frame so that she could not repeat the trick well, good on them for tying the arms of her dresses. That seemed to work an absolute treat. <laughs> I love that they're calling it like a treat. You know, she can juggle. She can, yes, she can juggle. She can blow a bubble with chewing gum. She can climb the fucking walls with her fingers. Yeah. Although Anna had not eaten well for weeks and not at all during the days of the exorcism, she began to froth at the mouth, vomiting vast quantities of substances at times. Yeah, (laughs) I've done that. We've all done it. (laughs) At times, this was described as a fluid and others as a real, as real, like physical objects such as tobacco leaves and spices. Oh. Yeah. So it wasn't always like Like liquid. Like whole items. Yeah. It's like dried leaves and yeah. Right. She had reportedly only taken a teaspoonful of water and milk on the mornings of the exorcisms. However, during the ritual itself was said to vomit up to 20 or 30 times a day. These bizarre expulsions at times described as quantities that were humanly speaking, impossible to fit inside of a normal being. So she's, like vomiting yeah. up more than that should actually be inside <laughs> of her. A football <laughs> and a salad bowl. Yeah. And yeah, okay, got you. Think like Monty Python. Yes. Meaning of life. <laughs> yes. I'd like a mint. Yeah. An yeah. after dinner mint. <laughs> Throughout it all, the room filled with such a foul stench and Anna remained comatose, her eyes and mouth closed, apparently completely unaware of any commotion or physical goings-on. In her comatose state, with her lips unmoved, she spoke in various languages, predominantly in Latin, German and English. English. While at other times, she was described as communicating with the now familiar bestial growls and demonic murmurings. The evil spirit spoke in an audible manner from somewhere within her, they said. Through these bursts of speech, Risinger learned all manner of details concerning the demonic presences within Anna and came to the conclusion that she was possessed by not only one demon, but five. Those of her father, Jacob, and his mistress, Mina, now apparently residing in hell, along with Beelzebub, Judas, and Lucifer himself. Wow, the whole gang's here. Yeah, it's a party. <laughs> it's a party. Hope you brought some guacamole and dip. <laughs> she can just puke some up yeah. if you didn't. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Now, alongside the, my, the main five were scores of other lesser demons that would arrive in packs, screaming and, screaming and growling atop one another until they could be driven away by Risinger's exorcisms. This process of battle continued for eight days until the group feared for Anna's life as she became emaciated and pale. On the 26th of August, it was deemed necessary to break the proceedings and to commence anew after Anna and all present had been given time away to recuperate and renew their convictions for the further battles that lay ahead. 
Mm. It was only after the exorcisms ceased that Anna would once again open her eyes and return to a normal waking state. Okay. And I am going to pause there <gasps> on a cliffhanger. Oh, no! But you're going to Thailand! Exorc- I know. Oh, okay. Deal. But we just have so much more to this story. There's like another five pages to go. Oh, we got to do it. We've got to give it justice. Do it justice. Be justice. Yeah, I'm sure people will want to know what happens to Anna. Yes, please. uh, I want to know what else she pukes up. Yeah, it's pretty intense. But just for, you know, for context setting, that was just the first exorcism. (gasps) Amazing. I cannot wait. Yeah. That's so exciting. I think what's really cool about this story, Kate, is the the level of detail that yeah. and records of this actual case. You know, we hear of lots of secondhand sort of reports of this sort of stuff. Yep. But it's really interesting to hear these, you know, these firsthand accounts. So um, uh, it gives me heebie-jeebies. But, uh, <laughs> I'm so excited to hear about the other exorcisms. I hope you enjoyed the that first episode. That was amazing. Episode. Thank you so much, Dom. And, I um, cannot wait to uh, yeah hear from you when you're back because I want to know what happens. Yeah, all you listeners out there, you should not hear or notice any disruption from normal programming. Um, I've just <laughs> landed back in the country, so everything's normal. Oh, my God, yeah. something just knocked on the door. Did it really? Oh, my God, that scared the fucking shit out of me. <laughs> Is it Kane? It could possibly. He is not okay. but... <laughs> We like something that's spooky. It's oh Anna. God. Oh, well, thank you so much, Dom. I hope you have had a lovely trip. And by the point where this comes out, and I will be immune to COVID-19 <laughs> by that time as well. And then I cannot wait for part two. Yeah. You were a legend for sticking around so much. Thanks, Kate. No worries at all. I will see you next time. I love you all, listeners. Please um, like, subscribe, click whatever review love views review that's right and check out generally spooky podcast yay see you guys love you bye (laughs) 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 who am i anna acklin that's a wrap big shout out to everyone for tuning in to shit and bricks don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us. Plus, you can find extra little nuggets on our socials. Next week, we'll be back talking more shit, so do not forget to tune in. And remember to wipe, flush, and wash your hands. Goodbye. Goodbye.